De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell, and today we're going to be talking about go-to-market strategies for B2B SaaS founders. Joining us is Patrick Thorpe, who is the co-founder at Founders Revenue Academy, which is an online platform made for the founders of B2B technology companies providing with the commercial skills they need to succeed. The platform collates over 50 years of experience helping over 100 B2B startups establish a revenue engine. And so far this week, Patrick and I have talked about the B2B founders go-to-market playbook and why revenue over sales. And today we're gonna wrap up our conversation by talking about structuring your revenue team. Okay, here's my conversation with Patrick Thorpe, the co-founder at Founder Revenue Academy. Congratulations, Patrick. You've done the Ironman of the Revenue Generator podcast. You made it to your third episode. It's good to have you back today. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks, sir. So, Patrick, we, we sort of teased this out earlier, and I'm going to guess that the structure of your revenue team is going to be really very dependent on your go-to-market motions. Is there a core, however, that you can recommend no matter what, whether you're PLG, account-based? I'm dying to hear it. Let's start us off with number one. What's the first thing you recommend? So founders who are looking to get their business off the ground, it's a founder-led sales operation. So sometimes for founders of businesses who don't come from a sales background, this can be a very bitter pill to swallow because the first 10 customers need to come from you. They need to come from your network, your colleagues that you used to work with, who they can refer you to. And so you're really trying to operate referrals and word of mouth, really, from this one. Because if you hire a VP of sales to do this job for you, you'll hire them too early, and it's an expensive mistake to make. So it's a word of warning, really. So the first 10 customers, let's assume we do sort of B2B SaaS, would likely come or have to come from the founder themselves, in my experience. So the founder has built a network over time. They have an angel investors who know people, but basically you're showing up with an idea of how you're going to get to your first 10 customers. Maybe you have your first five in your pocket and you're going to figure out the next five. So what's next? So on the second one would be the assembly line. So I'm poaching from, from Aaron Ross here a little bit, but the assembly line is where you have what's quite under, well understood now in terms of you have those individuals who open up sales conversations with the market. And they're typically called sales development reps, business development reps, and there's other, other such terminologies for them. But they're kind of frontline salespeople who are looking to start conversations with the target market. Then once there are a few bites with this target market, they would then move that on to an account executive or a business development manager or a sales manager. Or again, the taxonomy isn't really as important here, but it's those people who are maybe a little bit more experienced, typically, 
but they're the ones that really start from being introduced to a potential qualified deal and seeing it all the way through to closed one. And then the final piece of the assembly is the customer success manager, which is these are now paying customers. Their job is to retain them, renew their contracts, spot any upsell, cross-sell opportunities. So the assembly line is the SDR through to the AE, through to the customer success manager. So, and I'm going to guess here, the ratio of SDRs to AEs to CX really depends on whether you're creating a category, whether you're joining into an existing category. Great. So those are very understandable models. What's another model we can think about? The other one, which is really nice, is the pod structure. Um, so this is kind of nice for people who might be product-led. So the, kind of, what the, the constituent elements can be broken down into four bits. And so you imagine four players on a team, and if you imagine the product being at the center. So you'd have a outbound prospector, so similar to uh, an SDR, whose role it is to generate conversations. You also have an inbound marketer who would be looking to generate demand from your product either by offering free trials or free white papers or things like that to get people to come to you. Then you'd have the account exec, that person who is looking to start these deals off but looking to close them down. And then you'd have the CX person or customer success manager as well. And what these these guys would do is that they would orbit around the product and be completely product obsessed. Now, this can also be applied for specific industries or specific types. So if you are a business who has one product, but you sell to enterprise and SMB, you can have a pod for enterprise and you can have a pod for SMB with still the same players in there. Or you could have a pod for financial services, a pod for pharma, a pod for legal, for example. So actually the pod structure has lots of applications. And for those who are a product-led growth motion or they think that's what they want to do because of where they've come from, the pod structure is typically something you would want to do. And then you'd be able to scale that pod out by taking probably the SDR and the AE to then go and build a new pod so it kind of grows and you promote from within. So it's quite a nice uh, model to utilize when you're at the right stage to do so. And then you mentioned there was a fourth model. So we talked about founder-led. We talked about the assembly line. We talked about pod structure, which I think is an incredibly clever way to think about developing a market because the outbound ultimately is going to be a completely different motion than inbound. And typically when well done, Patrick, they're self-supporting. But you mentioned a fourth model before. Yeah, so this is called dual flow, or what I've termed dual flow. So this is typically for bigger businesses and it's specialized streams. And so you have an inbound and an outbound. So to kind of walk you through this one, it's kind of thinking, well, if you've got an inbound team, these are people that are servicing leads who have been generated through webinar attendance, white paper downloads, eBooks, other such demand generation tactics that you've employed in your business. The reaching out and the sales development of those leads is going to be slightly different because the intent is a lot higher for those particular businesses. So it might be as simple as there needs to be more follow-up attempts made to an inbound lead than there would be to an outbound lead. For example, this kind of tactical KPI that you could use. Then on the other side, you've got the outbound motion, which is more sales team-led, product-assisted type model, which is we've got our list of contacts, we want to go through them, we might be taking a phone-first approach, which, by the way, is the quickest way to establish product market fit if anybody's sort of interested. And then having those two running concurrently is more characteristic of those businesses that would 
be kind of 10 million plus. So to kind of look at these revenue profiles of these four different models, I would say probably zero to 1 million is the founder-led. Probably one to five is the assembly line. Five to 10 is the pod structure. And 10 plus would be the dual flow. I would say as a, as a rough kind of idea to get people conceptually thinking about how you can start at founder-led and then gravitate through the different structures as and when you need to. Is that transition point typically, and you mentioned at the beginning, Patrick, that quite often it's about your first 10 accounts. And, and we're also trying to use the rubric of revenue as well. But do you find yourself in a place where you're feeling like the founder-led model should be giving way to the assembly line much more quickly? In, in an ideal world, yes, because you would want someone who doesn't come from a sales background to let the person who does come from a sales background who's done this before come in and really throw a bit of kerosene on this whole stuff. So when I say first 10 customers, the figure's arbitrary, really. But the point is, it's the first few customers need to come. So for example, if you've got a, two, a 250K value that you're selling your software for, if you're landing 10 customers of those, you've got a really strong business anyway as a founder. But if you're selling ACB of B2B SaaS, it's what, anywhere between 10 to 25,000 bucks, something like that, you probably need the first five to come across from you just to you know start to understand. But in my experience, I think that the sooner you can move from founder-led to sales team-led, the better. But that movement is very, very difficult. And that's exactly where I've been operating for the last uh, seven years, helping with that whole movement. And as you mentioned a couple of episodes ago, nine out of 10 startups typically fail in the UK. So that's a, a treacherous journey. And we also talked yesterday a, a bit about the role of the CRO and you're feeling that sometimes the CRO is hired a bit early in the process or in the evolution, if you will. Where do you feel like that CRO typically does fit? Are you starting to get into this five to 10 million range where that pod structure is more appropriate that you're thinking about bringing a CRO in? Or are you in a good space where you can maybe have a VP of sales? Okay, so a, a couple of things in there. So I think the time to hire a CRO is going to be dependent on a few different factors in terms of being able to identify what it is, what the problem is that you want the CRO to come in and solve. Where are you in your ARR journey at the moment? What other players are on the team? What does he have on the bench to help him, him or her out? And so you probably look to hire a, a CRO, maybe between pod structures, dual flow, to, to kind of keep, keep this analogy going. But then the VP of sales is going to be slightly earlier than that because the fundamental difference between a VP of sales and CRO is that a VP of sales is usually a subject matter expert and a tactician. And a CRO is a bit more of a strategist. And so you can look at everything. And again, this kind of ties quite well into our, in our previous conversation, which was a VP of sales cares about sales, cares about sort of, it is designed to be, and I, I mean this with no disrespect, quite myopic in how they, in how they see their role. The chief revenue officer looks at the whole thing. And so, again, there's kind of clues in the name about what they do and what roles they fill, very, very different roles. I mean, the, the best companies that I've seen in terms of a structure have had a VP of sales, a VP of marketing, and a VP of customer success, all, uh, and a VP of RevOps, actually, all coming into the CRO as direct reports. It's a really nice organization. So, Patrick, it sounds many ways over our last few days of conversations that we're saying the lift that that founder has, the business-facing founder, if you have such luxury that you can have a business-facing founder, 
really what we're talking about is that burden is on them to get the organization to the point that they can hand off to a CRO. So in many ways, this is education for the founder, understanding that their core responsibility in terms of how they're thinking about structure and their role is really about being that CRO, really being the core of that revenue play, in addition to fundraising, in addition to making sure the cash flow is where it needs to be, in addition to making sure the technology is working and fitting in the marketplace. They've got to be really the CRO in many ways to the point where they can get to the point where they can bring on strategists. Not an easy job. So Patrick, final question for you before we wrap up today. Why do people do this? Why do people jump in as founders? Is this masochism or is this just such a strong desire to succeed that drives motivation to take on such tough jobs? It's the wanting to, I believe, serve, so kind of serve a higher purpose. And it's really addressing this why I do what I do. So, you know, I think we're probably all familiar with Simon Sinek, start with why. It is quite a, it's a, it's a, it's a very useful theory to think about when thinking about founders, because you're absolutely right. There's loads for a founder to do. And it's not just sales. There's lots of other things. And it's very difficult for a lot of founders to be able to understand where do I go to find out what I need to know? Who are the people I need to speak to? Who are the people I should listen to? What book should I read? All this sort of stuff. I mean, right? you, you, you mentioned in a previous conversation about a uh, job to be done, Clay Christensen's book, Competing Against Luck, right? It's a fantastic book that I would encourage anybody to read because it will really, really help. But why do people do it? Because there is a truncated level of return when the success goes. So, and forgive me if I get this analogy wrong, but for in baseball, you hit a home run and you can only get four, is it points, right? It doesn't matter if you just clear the fence or you clear the whole stadium. In business, that's not the case. If you swing hard and it's nine out of 10 failure, but it's 10% chance of success, you take that all day long. Makes sense. And, and Patrick, I have to say, I would never dare to pull off a cricket analogy. <laughs> did pretty well with the baseball analogy, Patrick. Thank you for uh, trying to make my uh, audience understand. But it's a valid point. And I have to say, I have worked for half a dozen founders in my time. And I have to tell you, just as you said before, it's no slam on the VP of sales for being tactical. I have to tell you, it's no slam on founders for being a little obsessive and just a little bit crazy. And I think that those two things, and, and by the way, mounds and mounds of self-confidence and really thick skin or, you know, things that I've noticed over time. And I, I think, Patrick, I really think it's wonderful that Founder Revenue Academy is out there to help those folks, because as you said before, nine out of 10 don't make it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the problem we're trying to address. So, so right now, uh, we've had a few select partners of ours um, jumping onto our platform, and we should be able to receive founders that can help or that we can help founders by the 15th of September. That will be when it's uh, the main net is, is launched and people can start to get a significant amount of value for um, very little money. So we're really excited about it. Well, so I know quite a few founders. Founders, if you're out there and you haven't started a company before and you don't know what Patrick's talking about, check out Founder Revenue Academy. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Doug, for having me. Pleasure. All right. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Patrick Thorpe, co-founder at Founder Revenue Academy for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Patrick and get in touch, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company website at founderrevenueacademy.com. 
Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. And we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.